0: Listening to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. Thanks for joining with us today. This year, we have begun a new series titled "Your Kingdom Come," based on the Old Testament book of First and Second Samuel. This is a book that calls us to action. The text prods and pokes us with this great question: Will you submit your life to the Son of God? It's a call to humble ourselves before this King and trust in Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thanks for joining with us today. Well, we're in a series on 1st and 2nd Samuel. And so if you would grab your Bibles and open them up to the book of 1st Samuel, we're going to be in chapter 5, chapter 6, and part of chapter 7 this morning. So 1 Samuel chapter 5 verse 1 through 1 Samuel chapter 7 verse 1. So give your attention to God's word. Chapter 5 verse 1. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. And the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron, But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what shall we send it to its place? They said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand is not turned away from you. And they said, what is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke. And yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them. And take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put in a box at its side the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering." Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. The men did so and took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the ark and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Bethesemesh offered burnt sacrifices and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Eshkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron, and the golden mice according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? And so they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadad on the hill And they consecrated his son, Eleazar, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. Oh, Father, we do ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. So we've got chapter 5, verse 1, through chapter 7, verse 1 in front of us. We've read the text, and we can start here. The Old Testament is a difficult read. And the Old Testament is a difficult read because it's so unfamiliar to us, it's dare we say, strange to us. And as we think about chapter 5, verse verse 1, through chapter 7, verse 1, it's unfamiliar and strange. So in this text, we leave behind the land of Israel and we head off into the land of the Philistines. We leave behind the, the tabernacle in Shiloh. We spent a lot of time there. We were growing comfortable with it. Now, all of a sudden, we find ourselves in the temple of Dagon, And as we are in the land of the Philistines, all sorts of strange things start to happen. It all begins in the temple of Dagon. The statue of Dagon falls over. And as readers of the story, we say, that's that's strange. And then the next day, the same thing happens. But somehow, someway, Dagon's head is cut off and both of his hands. And as readers, we say, this is getting more strange. We keep reading the story and we find that a, a plague moves from city to city in the land of the Philistines. And it's a plague that no one can really figure out. Was it a a really bad case of the hemorrhoids? It seemed to have something to do with their private parts. Or was it something like the bubonic plague because so many people were being struck dead? We say, this is kind of strange. And then in the story, we meet the Philistine power players. We meet their leaders, their princes. We meet their magicians and their priests. And then we find them doing something really strange. They start making golden mice and golden tumors. And then they hatch this strange plan that that has something to do with milk cows. That's how they're going to solve this problem. And then the whole story ends with this strange scene. There's this great religious celebration. The ark has returned to Israel. The people are happy. They're rejoicing. And then the Lord strikes a bunch of men dead. Dead. This is a strange story. And so we asked this morning, right from the get go, what are we supposed to do with this story? How are we supposed to handle it? How are we supposed to understand it? And here's the thing these questions aren't academic. We have to remember who we are and where we are. Who are we? Well, we're God's people. And where are we? We're in a sanctuary. There's a pulpit here. We've come to receive the word of God. We want to receive his gifts, his grace, his mercy. We want God to deal with our hearts, to change us, to grow us, to show us glory, to satisfy us. And so we start asking questions with greater urgency. We ask, well, what's God saying to us in these two chapters? What does God want us to see? What does God want us to believe? How does God want us to change? How does God want us to to live? What's God saying to us? So that's what we're going to try to figure out. What is God saying to us in this very strange story? Now, there's no getting around the strange that we find in this text. We read it, and if you have a a sheet of paper as you're reading it, you're jotting down all of these questions. The reality is there aren't answers to all of the questions we have. That's the thing about reading old stories like this. We just don't have access to all of the answers. But that's okay. Because while this story is both strange and unfamiliar, we don't need to be confused by it and we don't need to be confused by it because the story of First and Second Samuel has been preparing us for this strange story that we encounter between chapter 5 verse 1 and chapter 7 verse 1. It's been getting us ready for this story and it's been planting clues for us. And so before we can enter into this strange story and start working in it, we need to go back and pick up the clues. And so let's back up to chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, and we find our first clue. So in chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, we we meet Phineas' wife. And she's just given birth to a son, and she's in the process of dying. And so the scene is really dark, it's really bitter, and the text says this. She named her child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the Ark of God had been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the Ark of God has been captured. And so the story wants us to take notice of something, and we can tell because the lament of Phineas's wife is repeated twice. We would have gotten to the point just once. The glory has departed, but it's repeated twice. The glory has departed. The glory has departed. And we have to understand that these are not just sad and bitter words uttered by a dying woman on her deathbed. They are essential commentary on this story. Phineas's wife is helping us understand what is going on in Israel. And so we ask, well, what does this lament mean? Is she telling us that the ark has gone on some sort of trip? Is she telling us that Yahweh has taken a journey of some kind? We have to understand that this lament, the words that this woman utters, that they are theologically loaded. Yes, the ark is gone. Technically, Yahweh has, has taken a trip. Technically, the ark has gone on a journey. But there's more to see here. There's a depth to it. And so this lament, I think it should be translated something like this. The glory has gone into exile. The glory has gone into exile. And that word that the ESV translates as depart is used elsewhere to reference exile. And this is helpful. So, whatever is going on in our passage, whatever is going on in the land of the Philistines and in the house of, of Dagon, his temple, it has something to do with the reality of exile. That's the first clue. There's a second clue. And we need to back up further to chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And so here we meet the Philistine army. They just won a victory over Israel, but something's going on here. They they hear a great shout from the camp of Israel. And they must have had spies out gaining intelligence on Israel and their movements. And the, the spies come back and they tell them that the ark of the Lord has entered into their camp. And what happens? Well, the Philistines are scared, they're terrified. And the text tells us what's going on. It says, The Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. And again, the story wants us to take notice of something. Clearly, we can see that these soldiers are in a panic. It's coming through loud and clear. Here are these men, these these seasoned soldiers, and they're crying out, woe to us, woe to us. But there's something deeper going on. We have to pay attention to it. Did you hear it? In their panic, they start talking about a biblical story. They start talking about the Exodus story. We hear them mention the Egyptians, the plagues, the wilderness. And again, we're getting help here. So whatever is happening in our text, the decapitation of Dagon, the tumors, the heavy hand of the Lord, the golden mice, the golden tumors, the milk cows, the countless dead in the land of the Philistines and in Israel, has something to do with the Exodus story. And so the text is helping us. It's setting us up for our story. It's been setting us up by giving us these two words, exile and exodus. And what these two words do is they help us cut through all of the strange in our passage, and they help us cut through all of the strange and see who our God is and what he is doing in this story. And so these two words are going to serve as the outline for our sermon, our exposition on these two chapters. And so we can start this morning, our work in the text, with the word exile. So exile is a biblical word. It shows up all over the Old Testament. You find it in the law. And so in the law, God is defining his relationship, his covenant with his, his people. And you find the Lord talking about exile. As you read on in the Old Testament, you come to the prophets. You meet men like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And they're, they're going to the people and they're preaching to the people. And you hear in their preaching talk about exile. And then you read the history of Israel, and you find exile described in graphic detail. So what is exile? Well, exile is a consequence. It's a punishment. And we have to be clear, it's not just any old consequence. It's not any old punishment. It's the ultimate punishment for sin. This is what God has promised to his people. If they utterly turn away from him and forsake him, he will bring exile to them so we need some help here trying to understand what this is and perhaps the clearest passage comes in the book of Deuteronomy so Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 64 through 68 just listen as the lord talks about exile the lord says and the lord god will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone which neither you nor your fathers have known and among these nations you shall find no rest And there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. and At evening you shall say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised that you would never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. And so we listen to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and we say, those are terrible words. I don't like thinking about those words. But they're helpful because they help give us a sense of what's going on when the Bible talks about exile, And so we see in in chapter 28 that exile is the outpouring of God's wrath. And as God pours out his wrath, he systematically reverses the salvation of his people. You see it in Deuteronomy chapter 28. He's going to drive them from the land of promise. He's going to hand them over to foreign gods, gods of wood and stone. And he's going to do what? He's going to send them into captivity. He's going to send them into captivity. So we can connect this to the story we find in 1 Samuel. So in chapter 4, verse 22, we meet Phineas' wife. She's dying. She laments. She says, the glory has gone into exile. And the story moves on. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We're told what this exile looks like, what it means. The text says, when the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up besides Dagon. So when we read these two verses in chapter 5, we realize that Phineas's wife wasn't joking around when she said, the glory of God has gone into exile. Do you, you see it? What's happened to the ark? The ark has been removed from the land of Israel. The glory now resides in a temple of a foreign god. Literally, the ark is surrounded by idols made of wood and stone. And in all of this, the Philistines have captured the ark the ark seems to be like a slave of the philistines and they just move it at will we need to let all of this sink in just let it sink in israel has sinned against the lord israel has broke covenant with the lord israel turned their hearts away from god we see it in the story of first samuel and what do they deserve They deserve to be handed over to foreign gods. They deserve to be made slaves. They deserve to be removed from the land. But what happens in the text of Scripture? Who goes into exile? Well, it isn't Israel. It's the Lord. All the covenant sanctions, all the covenant consequences are placed upon the shoulders of the Lord who leaves the land, who's humiliated in the house of Dagon, who's taken captive by these godless pagans. And as we take all of this in, we say, this is so unexpected. It hurts our minds. And it hurts our minds because we've been reading the book of First and Second Samuel. We, we listen to Hannah, and she's saying to us about God. Remember what she's saying? She's saying, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides him. Hannah's picking up the Lord, and she's exalting him. And then we see the Lord in the land of the Philistines. Hannah told us about our king, that he's sovereign. He rules over all things. She's saying, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. She told us that this God is a great warrior and judge. She's saying, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And behold, we enter into chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And here is this God. He's humiliated. He's taken captive. He's in the temple of Dagon. Dagon. This is completely unexpected. And so we ask, well, what is the story doing? What does the story want us to see and understand? Well, the story's doing this. It's calling us to behold the God who freely and willingly bears the consequences and sins of his people. And the story's calling to us. If we have ears of faith, it's saying something like this. Look, dear reader. This God does not forsake his people. He does not withdraw from them and retreat into the high heavens, separating himself from, from sinners. Look at what he did. He thrust himself into the deep darkness. He went right into the filth and the muck. He threw upon his own shoulders all the consequences of his people's law-breaking. Look at him there humiliated. Look at him there in the temple of Dagon. Look at the Philistines rejoicing over him. And what the text of Scripture does is it starts coming to us and it starts prodding us. It starts asking, Dear reader, what God do you trust in? What God do you turn to? Do you run to the God who went into exile? Do you hope in the God whose ark was placed in the temple of Dagon? Do you love the God who bore the consequences of his sin upon his own shoulders? Do you trust in the God who sent his own son into the deep darkness for our sin? For this is the God that we find in the scriptures. The God that we find in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, is the same God we find at the cross of Jesus Christ. The God who willingly bears the consequences and sins of his people. And so there's our first word, Exile the exile of Yahweh. But the story doesn't end with exile. There is more. We have a second word. We don't only have exile, but we have exodus. And we've only covered the first two verses of this story. We've got a lot of story to cover. And the rest of the story is going to fall under the head of exodus. And so exodus is another biblical word. In fact, you might recognize it as the title of the second book of the Bible. There's Genesis, and then there's the book of Exodus. And so what is the Exodus? What do we mean by this word? Well, Exodus is the great salvation event of the Old Testament. So you can just remember the story. Israel was enslaved in Egypt. They're living far away from the land of promise, and they're dominated by this tyrant king and his gods. And what does God do in this story? Well, God comes and he saves his people And we have to understand the salvation. God didn't just save Israel from one of these realities or a couple of these realities. He saved them from all of these realities. The salvation was systematic and complete. He drew Israel up from Egypt. There's this geographical change. No longer you're living in Egypt, but you're going to live in the land of the promise. It's a change of of status. Israel was enslaved, but now they're set free. Israel was impoverished, and they leave The land of Egypt with what? Riches of gold. They plunder the Egyptians. Even more importantly, in this story, Yahweh comes and he kills the tyrant king, he kills Pharaoh, and he humiliates all the gods of Egypt. And what we find taking place in our text, chapter 5 and chapter 6, is another Exodus story. And we need to take notice of how similar these two stories are, the Exodus story and what we find taking place in the land of the Philistines. First of all, we have to see in chapter 5 that Yahweh makes war against the God of the Philistines. And so the Philistines take the ark and they bring it and they put it in the house of Dagon, the temple of Dagon. And, And as they were doing that, surely they were thinking thoughts like these, oh, Dagon is so great he not only conquered Israel, but he conquered their God, and his conquest was so great that we could, we could take their God, and we, now we bring him into our temple, and this ark its a trophy to Dagon. Dagon is great. Dagon is great. And what happens? They show up the next morning, and Dagon has taken a tumble. He's fallen down, but we have to be careful readers of scriptures because Dagon has not only fallen over, but we need to see that Dagon is prostrate before the ark of the Lord. He's looking like a pious worshiper of Yahweh. If you came to worship the Lord, you would bend down on your face and worship, and Dagon is worshiping Yahweh. Well, what happens? The Philistines, they pick up their God, and I'm sure the Israelites were laughing as they read this story. What kind of God do you have if you have to pick him up? in the morning. And so they pick him up and then they go away and the next morning they come back and what do they find? They find Dagon face down again but this time his head has been cut off and his hands have been cut off and the story is telling us Yahweh has destroyed Dagon. He has destroyed him. He has cut off his heads. And the story keeps going on. The Lord does not only deal with the false gods of the Philistines, but he deals with the Philistines themselves. So the ark is, is traveling around the land of Philistia, and in its wake, there's trouble, there's disease, there's death, there's panic. We see it in Ashdod, we see it in Gath, we see it in Ekron, and it doesn't matter where the Lord goes, where the ark goes, he is judging these people, and he is striking them with what? With a plague. And we say, oh, I've heard about that before in the Exodus story, A plague. And soon the Philistines are done with the Ark of the Lord, and they're done with his heavy hand, and they're done with the plague. And so in chapter 5, verse 11, they cry out and they say, send away the Ark of God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. And we remember, oh, that sounds interesting, that's familiar. I heard that in the Exodus story. I remember that. And so the Philistines only have one logical choice. They have to get rid of the Ark of Israel, of the God of Israel. And this is where the story gets really interesting. Because at this point, a great reversal takes place. So just think about this. The Lord was humiliated by the Philistines, but how does the Lord leave the land of the Philistines? He leaves in complete triumph. From the the poorest of people to the richest of people, they all fear and tremble before the ark of the Lord. The Philistines, they captured the ark, they carted it off, They had control over the ark, they thought, but how does the Lord leave? Well, he sovereignly directs two milk cows away from their calves, back to the land of Israel. The Lord needs no one to drive his cart. He drives the cart himself. The Philistines, they put the ark in Dagon's temple. They made light of Yahweh. They made fun of Yahweh. But how does the Lord leave? He leaves with glory and honor. What are the Philistines doing? They're trying to figure out how to atone for their sins and so they're they're putting these these golden gifts on this cart. They're trying to make up for their sin in their own pagan way and so they're putting these golden gifts and the Lord leaves having plundered the land of the Philistines. And so we ask, well, what's going on here in this story? What does the story want us to see? And again, the story's calling to us It's saying, Behold the God who conquers. And if we have ears to hear, it's saying something like this, dear reader. Don't you see it? This God rules and he reigns over all of his enemies. His humiliation is not a lasting defeat, rather, it is his means of conquest. The story's saying, Dear reader, look at this story. This God, he is not dead, he is not idle, he is not powerless. See him there, striking down the Philistines by the thousands. See him there in the land of the Philistines causing panic and terror. See him there in the temple of Dagon. Their temple, their idol worshiping the Lord, head cut off, hands cut off. See him there in the land of the Philistines getting glory, getting glory. And so the story starts pressing on us again, doesn't it? It Starts asking, what God do you hope in? What God do you trust? What God do you love? Do you love the God who destroyed Dagon? Do you love the God who struck down the Philistines by the thousands? Do you bank upon the God who openly shamed Satan and all of his hosts? Do you bank upon the God who destroyed once and for all the power of sin through the death of his son? Do you trust in the God who vanquished death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what this story is calling us to do. Do you trust in the conquering God? And so there we have both words we've got exile, we've got exodus. Exile, the ark was taken. Yahweh is humiliated. Exodus, Yahweh is victorious. He triumphs over all of his enemies. And these words give us clarity to this story. They allow us to see what's happening. They allow us to see God. In fact, they allow us to see more. They allow us to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Exile, what do we think of? Well, this story leads us to the ultimate exile. It leads us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Where Christ became sin for us. Even more, the story leads us to the ultimate triumph, the ultimate Exodus story. Leads us to the, the open tomb where there is no body of Jesus. Jesus Christ is triumphant over all. Exile and Exodus. There's one issue here, there's a problem. We haven't told the whole story, have we? If you're paying attention, we're missing a chunk of story, a chunk that just doesn't seem to fit into this theme of exile and exodus. So if you have your Bibles, look at chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. This is a troubling passage. "'And the Lord struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh, because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned, because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow.' Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he go away from us? We just have to let this scene sink in because it's powerful, it's moving. Just think about it. The, The ark has returned. Here are these men in Beth Shemesh. They're working in the field and they see a cart coming and on the cart is the ark of the Lord. Oh, it's good to see. Yahweh is triumphant. And then they look behind the ark And there are these Philistines walking behind and they're defeated. The the Philistines are completely defeated and so you rejoice, you're so happy and you begin to celebrate, you begin to offer sacrifices, you begin to rejoice. This is a glorious day, the ark is back, the Philistines are defeated. And as we listen to the story, what do we wanna do? Well, we wanna go to Beth Shemesh and we wanna rejoice, we wanna offer a sacrifice, we wanna a a feast with them. This is, is glorious. But notice what the story does. The story doesn't let us pause. It doesn't let us stop. Rather, what does it do? It pushes us forward into this terrible judgment scene. It just pushes us forward. And so we ask, well, what are we supposed to do with these verses? What are we supposed to do with this jarring ending? It's not what we wanted to hear. Well, the first thing we need to do is pay attention to the story. And it's really interesting, there's similarities between these verses and the whole story that we've listened to. There's three similarities we need to take notice of. The first similarity is this. In these verses, Israel treats the ark with disrespect, just like the Philistines did. It's whether these men in Beth Shemesh looked at the ark, or they opened up the ark and looked inside of it, or if they did something else, commentators disagree, whatever they did, they disrespected the ark. And the law is clear, no one was ever to look at the ark. If it was in the Holy of Holies, no man would see it. And if it was on the move, there was, it was supposed to be covered. And so what did these men do? They treat the ark just like the Philistines did. Second similarity, God treats these Israelites just like he treated the Philistines. So we see in the story, God has struck down the Philistines with plague. And here, God strikes down the Israelites with plague. And there's debate over the number of the dead, and so you might see it in your footnotes, in your translation. Some translations read 70, while others read 50,070. I'm probably in favor of the bigger number. But whatever it is, the Lord's judgment is severe. The Lord strikes out and kills Israelites. And God treats these Israelites just like he treated the Philistines. Third similarity, Israel sends the ark away. And they send the ark away just like the Philistines did. Verse 20. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he go up away from us? So what does all of this mean? What are we we seeing here? Well, we see this. The God of exile and exodus is the God who comes to dwell with his people. And this God... The presence of this God is no smaller, insignificant matter. The God who went into exile, he freely and willingly took the consequences of his people's sin. The God who worked another Exodus, humiliating and destroying the Philistines, is no God to trifle with. When this God came back to the land of Israel, he demands glory and obedience and reverence and right worship. And what we see happening in the text of Scripture is that Israel is not yet humbled in their hearts. They were ready to rejoice but they weren't willing to worship Yahweh and give Him glory as He desired. And so Israel sinned against the Lord, and because they sinned against the Lord, they were treated like the Philistines. And then they pushed the presence of the Lord away. Who will take the ark away from us? And that's where the story stops this morning. It stops on this sour note. And the story's pressing on us. The story asks, What are you going to do with the God of Israel? What are you going to do with the God of Israel? And here's the truth the God of Israel is near us this morning. The God of exile and exodus is here this morning. What are you going to do with him? The text asks us, Are you going to act like a Philistine? Are you going to act like one of the men from Beth Shemesh? Or are you going to humble your heart before the Lord and glorify him? Are you going to worship him as he has told you to? Will you give yourself to him? Or will you end up saying, away, away? Let's pray. Father, we believe that this is your word, and we ask now that your spirit would take it and press it upon our hearts and give us full conviction. We don't want to be like the Philistines. We don't want to be like the men of Beth Shemesh. We want to be a people humble of heart. And so we bow before you and we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.